And if you and I don't get very much opportunity to talk face to face, I hope that today you'll come and grab me because I really want to spend some time with you. I love this day. It is the day that is my spiritual birthday. I've mentioned that many times and I don't talk about my, my biological birthday very much. It gets celebrated here because I can't do a thing about it. You all already know and you're going to celebrate it. But I'm not, I'm not somebody that, that thinks a whole lot about my biological birthday. I'm glad for life, but it's another day. But Easter, that's my spiritual birthday and I love it. I love it because I love the Lord. I love it because there was nothing I could do for God to find me. He found me on his own. There was nothing I could do that would make God save me. He saved me by his own will. And if you are one of those who knows that Jesus has saved you, you know that sense too. You may have a day very clearly that you remember that you gave your heart to the Lord. You may not. It may just be that over a season of time that came clear to you. But one way or another, when Jesus has his hand on your heart, you know that you're alive in him. You know that you're alive forevermore. You don't have to be afraid of death. Amen. I'm not saying that death doesn't hurt. I shared a text with a friend this morning who texted me back. It was just a happy Easter kind of text. But they texted me back and said, pray for my daughter-in-law. Her mother passed away this morning after an extended battle with cancer. I said, how tragic. And of course, we're praying for Tracy and her family today as they mourn the passing of her mother. But I texted back and said, I, I pray that she knew the Lord. And it turned out that Tracy led her mother to the Lord just about a month ago, six weeks ago, something like that. Hallelujah. Thank you. It doesn't mean that that death doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that there isn't the pain of that loss. What it does mean is that's not the final word. Amen. What it does mean is just like this tomb is empty, her mother's tomb will be empty someday too. And even now what it means is though her mother is not in her body, her mother is with the Lord. Amen. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So day, today is a day about life. Life eternal and life everlasting. And we're going to look at the word of the Lord. Now, at this point, I should be close to wrapping up the service, and I'm just getting started. So you're in for it. I gave you a shot to get out. You could have left when I said, go get baptized. You didn't even have to do it. You could have just left. We all thought you were being righteous. And meanwhile, you could have been headed to Denny's. But it's too late now. They've bolted the doors. I'm just kidding. They haven't. But I want you to buckle in. Have you ever been to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? I'm not trying to make a, an endorsement here, but I happen to think that it may be the closest place to heaven on earth. That's not really true. Disneyland says it's the happiest place on earth, but I think I'd rather be at Ruth's Chris. Maybe you can tell I've been fasting. Ruth's Chris is a famous steakhouse. Now, you may like Houston's, or you may like Lucille's Barbecue, or you may like Pancit, and that's all well and good, whatever you like. But I'm going to use the example of Ruth's Chris because I want you to think of a big, fat, juicy steak. Now, when you go to a steakhouse, and I'm not a big red meat eater, and maybe you're not either. But if you go to a steakhouse, chances are you're, you're looking for that. I don't think anybody goes into Ruth's Chris and says, I'll have the large water. Give me a big glass of milk. Now, milk is good and milk is nice. It soothes. And we all start by drinking milk. But I want to serve a steak to you today. And I hope you're hungry for it. Amen. And if you feel like, well, I can't eat all of that, then... Just bite off what you can. Because the word of the Lord is meaty, rich, and deep. And I want to get into it today. This is a day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to me, that means that we go deep in him. There's kind of a principle. Don't do a deep, complex sermon on Easter. I kick that principle out the door. I don't care. I want to talk about the deep things of God. And if it's too much for you, then you know what, friend? You know what I want to say? Then you need to come back more. Because you're never going to grow up just drinking milk. You've got to have some meat. If you want to get strong 
What kind of bodybuilder just drinks milk? You're not going to become Arnold by doing that, right? You've got to have some protein. There's protein in the Word of God, and I want to offer it up today. I think the Lord wants to offer it up today. But it is a day also to really enjoy the victory of our King. Christ the Lord is risen today. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, Christ is the first fruit, the first fruit from the dead. The Lord said to us here at PCF that 2019 would be a year of fruitfulness. In the scriptures, first fruit is the beginning of a harvest. It's not just fruit that grows on a tree, although it includes that, but it's also the first grain that is harvested. It's the first of whatever the crop is. That first part of it is consecrated to God, according to the Old Testament. In the book of Leviticus, there were special sacrifices for the first fruit, and the first fruit belonged to God, but it was also part of the people's way of saying, you who have sent this, you're going to fulfill the rest of the harvest. This is evidence. It's proof that the seed that was planted in the ground is good. You don't know when you plant a seed. Is it really going to grow? And if it grows, is that plant going to produce fruit? But when you see the first of that fruit, it's proof. Proof positive of what is in the ground that is coming up and bringing forth something good to eat. Taste of the Lord. See how sweet he is. Jesus is the first fruit. He is the firstborn of many brethren. Now, in this series that I'm in, and I am in the midst of a, of a teaching series, this is a series called Final Days and First Fruits. Don't worry, if you haven't heard either of the previous two messages, I started this last week on Palm Sunday. I continued it on Friday's Good, evening, good Friday service. It was a good evening, too. You won't have missed anything because today we're going to review. In fact, if you've been at those other services, you might think, well, I have already got this. But I think you'll find it valuable because each time that we hear some of these principles out of the scripture, it's sort of like laying down a lacquer on wood. It just builds up the strength of it. And, you know, an interesting thing about lacquer is that if you're doing it right, the more you put on, the clearer the shine becomes. So I pray that if you've been trafficking with this series, that as we review some of the material, it will become that much clearer and that much stronger in your spirit. But if it's new to you, I think you'll be able to grasp it as well. Final Days and First Fruits is talking about the life of Jesus, most particularly in his last week. It was the final days of his life on earth. And in those final days, he had some important teachings and he did some important things. And none more important than dying on the cross and rising from the grave, in which he became the first fruits. A promise that his life means life for us as well, if we abide in him. I want to show you how this ties to a focus that the Lord has drawn us to in this week on Jesus' parables and interactions with the fig tree. It may seem unrelated, but Jesus and the fig tree actually has a parallel to his final days and his becoming our first fruits. There are some stories that he tells. There are some signs that he does with the fig tree. There are, first of all, two parables that Jesus tells in his ministry. One is the parable of the barren fig tree that we looked at last week. And then there is the parable of the budding fig tree, which will be our primary focus this morning. These two have a relationship with each other. On Friday, we looked at the cursing of the fig tree. A parable is a story that Jesus tells, a story that he makes up using symbols in order to drive home a lesson. But the cursing of the fig tree is not a story that Jesus made up. It's an event which occurred in the life of Jesus. It occurred on the two days immediately after he entered into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. On Monday morning, he saw a fig tree with leaves but no fruit. He cursed it. And on Tuesday morning, the disciples saw that it had withered. Last week, I mentioned how we looked at the barren fig tree parable, a story about a fig tree with lots of leaves but no fruit. 
And on Friday, we looked at the cursing of the fig tree, a real event about a fig tree with lots of leaves but no fruit. And today, we're going to look at the budding fig tree, a story about a fig tree that not only has leaves but promises to actually bear fruit. In other words, it is showing the signs of first fruits. As I mentioned on Friday, as I've been studying these passages, the life of Jesus over his final week on earth before the resurrection, and these stories and signs with the fig tree, I found something interesting. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he was greeted with applause. In fact, the reason why it is called a triumphal entry is because all the people went out waving palm branches, that's why we call it Palm Sunday, and laying them down in the road as though they were laying out the carpet to honor an incoming king. They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, save us. They said, you are great. They expected Jesus to deliver them, and in fact, that is exactly what he was there for, to deliver them and us from death and sin. But they expected him to do it in a way that corresponded to their earthly thinking. They were expecting a victory that was military. Put down the Roman rulers that were occupying their land. Bring to death those who had done injustice. Establish an earthly kingdom. But that wasn't what God was doing. And the moment that they realized that, most of that crowd turned against Jesus. And even the ones that were with him, many of them, they left Jesus because they were afraid for their own lives. And all of them were operating according to what they could see. Palm Sunday was a visible victory. Everyone can recognize that when you ride into town and the whole town is at your feet, everybody's applauding your name, that's victorious. But Maybe in this day and age more than ever, it's easy to see that the very people who celebrate you, who tweet your name and retweet your tweets, can turn against you in a moment. One bad Instagram post can sour your entire life, and that's no joke. How fickle is the world we live in today? Visible victories are not necessarily bad. And God can be in them. God was in that arrival in Jerusalem. But it's important to remember that if we are just living according to what we can see, we may not be prepared to withstand what God knows is coming next. And that's why God gives us warnings and signs. Turn to the other person next to you and say, God gives warnings and signs. It sounds kind of like a bummer, doesn't it? It sounds like a drag. God gives warnings and signs. But it's good. It's a blessing. Because if you don't have a warning, if you don't have a sign, you don't know what's up around the bend. Imagine driving down a road and you see a sign that says, Stop. Bridge out ahead. Now that's a bummer if you ignore it or if it's not there. But what a blessing if that sign is in place. So the visible victory of Palm Sunday had only a limited legacy because it was only for that moment. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't good, but it means it was pointing to something better that couldn't be seen. An invisible victory, if you will. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it looked like the worst failure ever. It looked like all hope was lost. That's why when we were worshiping earlier today, the Lord put it on our hearts to lift up to him the places where we are visibly defeated. In other words, the things we can see in our lives that are broken. The places where we know it's going wrong. Because what the Lord wants to say is, I have an invisible work to do there. Amen. I want to bring healing that you can't see, Amen. you can only receive by faith. When I say you can't see it, I don't mean you'll never see it. 
What I mean is God's asking us to believe before we see. To believe by faith. And when you receive by faith in that way, the invisible becomes visible. And the invisible victory of Jesus on the cross gives a liberating legacy. It's not just that Jesus conquered death and sin on the cross generically. It's that he conquered your death and your sin and mine. We are set free by him being nailed to that cross. He was nailed in place so that we could be released. And so today, in looking at the parable of the budding fig tree, we are also talking about an incredible victory out of the grave. A tomb that bloomed. A grave is a place of death, but Jesus' grave was a place of life. And that is a lasting legacy. Eternal. The grave is forever empty. He is forever alive. Just as was read out of Revelation chapter 1, I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. This notion of moving away from depending on what we can see into receiving what we believe by faith is the process by which you and I enter into the lasting legacy of eternal life through faith in Jesus' name. Now I want to talk a bit about the fig trees. And before you tune out, the fig trees matter to you. Take my word for it. Because the fig tree represents you and me. When we looked at the parable of the barren fig tree, we spent some time talking about how significant fig trees and figs and fig leaves are in the scriptures. You know, trees are one of the symbols that God uses over and over again. When he planted a garden at the beginning of creation, he filled it with trees. When the book of Psalms begins, the worship book of the people of God, it begins with a psalm saying that whoever is living in God and receiving his word and trusting in him is like a tree planted by waters that brings forth fruit. And when Jesus told parables over and over again, he told parables about good trees and bad, good seed and bad, good fruit and bad. He called himself the vine and said that we are the branches. He said that if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, but without me, you can do nothing. God uses the symbology of these green and growing things that are so familiar to us to make a very clear statement, which is life in the spirit is the same way. That's actually a really big revelation. Do you know that most of the world thinks, if they think in spiritual terms at all, that somehow life in the spirit, spiritual living and thinking, is dramatically different than the natural world. It isn't. In fact, the spirit world and the natural world are one, but one of them is visible and one is invisible. So God uses what is visible of his creation to show us what we cannot see in the spirit, but we can see by faith. There is no way you and I can keep planting seeds of flesh and sin and not reap the whirlwind of that result. And there is no way that you and I can pursue the good seed of God's word and not receive the good fruit of his blessing. Trees show us the work of God. There's three trees in scripture right off the bat. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, where we were told that we were not to eat of that fruit, but through Satan's temptation we did. And when we fell, we fell in shame. The third tree that is described is the fig tree. And it comes into play because when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they became aware of their shame, they became aware that they were no longer covered by God. They were totally uncovered. They were naked. They found those big fig leaves to cover themselves. But fig leaves, because of that, are a symbol in the scriptures, a symbol of God's provision, a symbol of God's protection, but also a symbol of human disobedience and human shame. 
They are also used to describe what God will plant in his promised land. In other words, it's part of God's prophetic promise. If you will come to me, I will continue to provide for you. In fact, the fig tree even looks like the menorah lamp that was in the temple of God. And in that, it's a symbol of worship, the divine and right worship that God calls us to do. Our whole lives are meant to be worship of God. And the fig tree is a reminder of that. We were made to worship God, but in our flesh, we have rebelled. It's no wonder then that God uses the fig tree to be a symbol of warning about judgment and promise about blessing. In Isaiah chapter 28 is one of many places where God uses figs to describe how those who do not trust in him face a coming judgment. Even though they look good, they may look full and green, but what God says is a time of withering is coming. But there's also a promise for those who trust in him. And the fig tree also figures in that promise. Proverbs 27 says that those who faithfully serve their master will be rewarded with fruitfulness from the fig tree. And Joel 2 is the Pentecost promise. It says that when God brings people to him, he provides a land for them, a land full of fruitfulness and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit by whom you and I call on the Lord and are saved. So, the symbol of the fig tree represents these things. Will you read them with me? God provides. People rebel. God responds. God judges where there is no fruit. God forgives and blesses where there is the fruit of a faithful heart. On Friday, we talked about why it was that Jesus cursed the fig tree. And he cursed it Because when he found it, it was full of leaves, but had no fruit. The foliage of the fig tree was a lie. When a fig tree is in bloom, when it has leaves, it is supposed to have fruit. If it doesn't, it won't bear fruit all season long. So when Jesus came and found that tree full of leaves, but without any fruit, he said it was full of lies without any truth. Leaves without fruit cannot hide the failure of of a spiritual death within. We may be like that first, gar- uh, first couple in the garden. We may want to hide from God. We may be ashamed of the ways that we fall short of Him. What God is saying is, you can't. There's nothing that keeps you from my eyes. I see you. I know you. I know what you've done wrong. I know what you're doing wrong right now. I know where you've been hurt. I know the wrong that's been done to you. I know where you're weary, I know where you're worried, I know where you're lacking, and you can't hide any of it from me. But if you just put on a show of right living and being a good person, but you lack my spirit in you, what you need to know is there's a curse that comes and there's no avoiding it. There's no way to avoid that curse except to come to the cross. The lie of the enemy is God doesn't tell the truth. That's the lie he told in the garden and it's the lie he tells to you and I today. But it is a lie. He is a liar. There is a devil. He's real. He's a personal entity who is fixated on the destruction of humanity because he is fixated on defying the will of God. And nothing is more precious to God than you. You may find that impossible to believe, but the cross proves it because he gave everything he had for you. That's why the enemy cares so much about you. In fact, he doesn't care anything about you. He's angry with God. He cares about you because God does. But even in that, the enemy's interest is not greater than the love of the Lord. Greater is he who is in you, than the one who rules the world. The curse comes to us when we turn away from God. But life comes to us when we turn back to him. 
The fact is, none of us, none of us would do that if it weren't for the fact that he reached out for us and is still reaching out. That holy hand, a hand with holes that says, come to me and I will give you life and make you fruitful. The Lord put it this way to Israel. I'm setting before you blessing and cursing. You choose. There is a tree that produces good fruit and there's a tree that produces bad fruit. You choose. But don't choose based on what you see because the tree of life is a cross of death. It's bloodied and battered. But Jesus said, if you'll give up your life, pick up your cross and follow me. Though you lose your life in this world, you gain eternal life. In this world and in the age to come. Blessing and cursing. Choose blessing. Choose to listen to the warning and to heed the word of God. To receive the spirit and to believe not only the sign of the cross but the evidence of the empty tomb. Here is the story that Jesus told of the budding fig tree. He told a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Notice here that Jesus is telling a story about trees, but he wants to especially highlight the fig tree. Why? Because of all the things we've just said. Because the fig tree has a special symbolism for humanity and for the people of God, both the nation of Israel and the church. As soon as the trees put forth leaves, you can see it and you know that summertime is near. That's when fig trees go into blossom, right when the summer is about to come, which, by the way, is the same time that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. When you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Much has been written about this phrase. Why did Jesus say this generation? But what it literally says there is generation in terms of a bloodline, in terms of a biological legacy, a lineage, a family tree. Jesus is saying this family tree of humanity will not die have you ever wondered whether humanity might just be wiped off the face of the earth? For decades, that's been a fear. In fact, for millennia, you and I, we can talk today about the concerns that are often raised, whether it's climate change or catastrophic nuclear warfare or uh, an alien evasion from outer space or an asteroid blast that would come and decimate the world. A thousand years ago, people in Europe thought that the plague might literally be the end of humanity. But what God has said is, humanity will not come to an end before I come to my people. Amen. And I'm telling you, Amen. that is true. Now, it doesn't mean that you and I won't go to him before he comes to us. None of us knows our last day. But what I can tell you is, humanity is not done until God comes to judge. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, even the earth itself and the heavens will pass away, but his word will not pass away. There are three things that I want to see in this. There's a burden of the fig tree. The budding of the fig tree, what does it mean? And how does it convey blessing? Because this story is about blessing. It may sound like it's about judgment, and it is about judgment but it is given to be a blessing. In the same way, there is a burden to the resurrection. There is a budding of the resurrection and there is a blessing from the resurrection. The burden relates to the mission. That is to God's purpose. Jesus said there's two kinds of trees. That's a story that we've studied in this sanctuary not too long ago. Trees of fruitfulness and good fruit or trees of wickedness and bad fruit. We've been in a series on the fruit of the Spirit and we began that series by looking at how the Apostle Paul wrote and said there's also fruit of the flesh. 
So the burden is this reality. We have a choice. We have a responsibility. And our responsibility, our ability to respond is powerful. We can choose to bear fruit. We cannot make ourselves bear fruit, but what we can do is choose to abide in Christ, to give our lives to Him, to base our lives on His Word, to give our lives to each other, to live among His body. The Lord says, if you will do this, you'll bear fruit. You'll fulfill the purpose that you were made for. You were made to be righteous and fruitful. Turn to the person next to you and say, you were made to be righteous and fruitful. It doesn't matter who you're talking to, you were made to be righteous and fruitful. If you will fulfill your purpose, God will be pleased. It's His desire. It is His will. That's what deifying God in our lives means. You really want to make God God over your life? You really want to worship God? Believe what He said and do it. That's what being a follower of Jesus is. Jesus said, not just saying, Lord, Lord. Not everybody who says that is fruitful and saved, but those who do the will of my Father. Or you choose anything else and you bear the curse because the curse comes to bear whenever we betray the purpose we were made for and turn away from God, denying God in our lives. So God's purpose is for His holy will to be borne out in us, even though His will leads us to a cross. See, if you're looking for visible victories, it's very hard to embrace the will of God because it includes embracing the old rugged cross. It means dying to your will. And even Jesus did that. They're sweating blood in the garden of the olive trees. He said, let this cup pass from me if it's possible, but not my will. Yours be done. And he was a model for us of how to fulfill our purpose in God. But Satan's plot is to turn us away, away from God's word, away from God's will, away from God's people. That's the wicked way. In Psalm 52, David describes the wicked as people who are pulled up by their roots. You see that highlighted line in the middle of the screen? You'll get pulled up by your roots, by the hand of the Lord. Why? Because you're not bearing God's fruit. Listen, everybody bears fruit. The question is, what fruit? Whose? Is it God's or is it Satan's? You might say, well, it's just mine, but it doesn't work that way. You and I can do nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're not bearing God's fruit, you're bearing Satan's fruit. Let me put it to you in the most graphic way. You're bearing Satan's children. You're birthing the offspring of Satan into the world. Years ago, there was a movie called The Omen. Listen, the spirit of Antichrist comes through people. People dedicated to their own way, their own will. Get mine. Me first. Elevate me. People who know how to play the game and look good, but behind all those leaves, there's nothing but death and destruction. And Satan is the author of that. But as for me, says David, I'm an olive tree growing green in God's house. I'm a tree planted by the waters. How is this a burden for Jesus? Because he took it up. He didn't have to. He willingly took upon himself what he didn't want to. And when I say what he didn't want to, what I mean is... In the incarnation, in Jesus being a human being as well as fully God, he did not desire to die, nor did he desire to be separated from God on the cross the way sin is separated from God. But he was willing to pick up his cross and die on it and be buried in the tomb so that he could bear fruit and bear our curse. He took our curse on him so that his life could be ours. He said, I will fulfill the Father's will, even though it was a burden to him, because it was shame and degradation, separation from God, but he did it for the glory set before him, so that he could release the will of the Father in our lives. 
so that fruitfulness could be ours. Jesus says in John chapter 12, the hour has come. See, the things that have to be fulfilled are being fulfilled. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll give up your life, you'll gain eternity. So follow me and be my servant. And my Father will honor you. Now my soul is troubled. He said, what am I going to say? Save me from this hour? Save me from the cross? But for this purpose, I came. Whose purpose? The Father's. So Father, glorify your name. And when he said that, a voice spoke audibly out of heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And Jesus said, now judgment has come upon this world. But if I'm lifted up from the earth, all people will be drawn to myself. In other words, Jesus' burden is our blessing. Hallelujah. And so Peter writes to the church and says, you have been called for this purpose. But anyone hearing my voice today, I tell you, you are called by God for this purpose because Christ suffered for you personally. Put your name on the cross. That's who he went there for. If you were the only one, he would have gone there just for you. He suffered to leave an example so that we could follow in his steps. Even though he didn't deserve the burden, he had committed no sin, he suffered all of that so that we who did sin could be blessed. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that he could be fruit on the tree. Do you know fruit is a burden on the tree? A tree bears fruit. It weighs the leaves down. Jesus hung on the cross so that the weight of God's glory could be lowered down to us as he was raised up from the earth. And by his righteousness, you are made righteous. And by his wounds, you are made whole. Hallelujah. Jesus said, when you see this, When you see the first fruit, that's a sign to you to get ready. Friends, the first fruit was harvested 2,000 years ago. How much time do you think remains? Are you ready today to come face to face with that man? who died on the cross for you. Are you ready to fall like one dead at his feet? That's what John said on the island of Patmos when he received the revelation that we read out of today. He said, I fell down in front of him. And what did Jesus say to him? Look at me. I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. And the whole book of Revelation is a warning and a promise. This is coming, so don't lose faith Because if you persevere, you'll reap a reward. But if you reject me, you will be cursed. The budding of the fig tree relates to promise and warning. There is a new creation coming and eternal life, but there is terrible cataclysm and there is a coming judgment. You cannot have the empty grave without the bloody cross. You cannot have a new heaven and new earth until this heaven and this earth have fully received all that is due. There's a harvest of blood. I'm not indicating or advocating for violence. That is not at all the spirit of the people of the Lord. But it is a reality. Violence is on the earth today and it will only grow greater. A time of shaking is coming when mountains are shaken into the sea, when stars fall out of the sky. What does that mean? I can't tell you what it means other than to say what God has said and say he means it. 
But also this, a day is coming and you know not when, when you will stand before the Lord your maker. And even if all the world continues on after you, for you, that day will be judgment day. And it could be today. And if it's not, and you live how long? 80 more years? Hardly any of us in the room have that long left. Maybe some young ones. Maybe somewhere there's some medicine that will prolong your days. I wouldn't count on it, but maybe. Well, what is that? 80 years. Goes by quick. How fast have the years gone by so far? And faster every year. There's a promise and there's a warning. There's blessing and there's cursing. God's purpose is for you to receive the promise. Peter put it this way to 3,000 people who didn't even speak the languages that he was speaking per se that day. On the day of Pentecost, he said the promise is to you and to your generation, your children, and to everyone you can reach as far as you can travel. And the promise is life here and forever. And God's warning about the coming judgment is a blessing because it's God's grace to those who don't deserve it. And that's us. Now I know you're holding in there with me and I'm grateful that you are. And I know I'm going on long. And I'm going to go longer. Until every word that needs to be said is said. Jesus said the hour has come and I tell you today is the day. Today is the day for new and fruitful life in you. Because God decrees it. God declares it. Easter 2019. Easter 35 years ago for me was the day when I stood in the church and my eyes were open. I don't know why. I just knew that all of a sudden, though I had known about God and believed in God, my whole life, because I was raised in a church-going family, I didn't think that God loved me. I mean, if you said, does God love you? I would have said yes. But I didn't know what that meant. And what I felt in my heart was, God doesn't like me. I disgust God. Because for that matter, I disgusted it myself. I always did the things I didn't think I should do. I didn't do the things I should do. I knew all the time I was unworthy. I didn't know that there was a devil in my ear saying it to me over and over. But that was true too. But then the voice of the Lord in my spirit, not an audible voice, but an undeniable word to me, Courtney, I died for you. I can't tell the story without becoming emotional. It still shocks me. It may make you uncomfortable to see me weep. I want you to know it doesn't make me uncomfortable. I could spend eternity crying over this. I think I will. It's tears of joy and absolute awe and total bafflement. I don't deserve him. But he wants me. He wants you. He made you specifically for him. There is no other reason for being. So you see, without him, there's nothing but death forever. You are eternally made. What do I mean by that? You were made by an eternal being and you have an eternal destiny. When you take your last breath on this planet, it's not the end of you. No matter what you believe. I don't care if you're here today and you're a Buddhist or you're a Church of Scientology practitioner or you're an atheist. 
You're not going to end when your life here ends. You say, how do you know that? Because I know the one who authored life. I've seen him. I've heard him. I've tasted of him. You can believe it or not, but I'm not going to change the truth whether you believe me or not. The truth is the truth. You are going to continue forever. But whether you continue on the tree of life or in a place of death is up to you and you alone. No one can make that choice for you. Not even God. Is there something that God cannot do? I will not say there is anything that God cannot do. But what I will say is this. God will not make a choice for you that he asks you to make yourself. How can God force you to choose him? Choice means you choose. So God cannot force you to choose because it would no longer be a choice. It's like saying, God, make a square circle. You have to choose one or the other because it can't be both. A choice is a choice. And the choice is yours. You say, I chose him a long time ago. Then are you living in him? Because what good is a choice if it can't be seen? I tell you, it's nothing but leaves. And Jesus is going to go looking for fruit. And if there's none to be found, he's going to tell you what you already know. That choice was false. Because you did not do what I asked you to do. You say, oh, Lord, help me. I can't do it. Yes, beloved. That's right. That's exactly where God wants us to be. Of course you can't do it. That's why he did it for us. But what you can do is believe. Trust and obey. When Jesus said, what am I going to do? Reject the will of the Father? It's the whole reason that I came. It doesn't mean that he didn't have the power to reject the will of the Father. It means that he determined not to. And when he said, Father, glorify your name, and that voice spoke out of heaven, Jesus made it clear, this voice wasn't for me. It's for you. For your sake, so that you would know in advance, because judgment is coming upon the world. There are passages of preparation over and over again that tell us, I've told you so you'll be ready. I've told you so you would know. I've told you this in advance, Matthew 24. Because when the Son of Man comes, it'll be like lightning out of the sky. John 14, I told you before it happens so that you would believe. I do exactly as the Father commanded me, Jesus said. These things I have spoken to you so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Do you know the storm ahead of you in your life? You don't. You don't know what the next hour holds. I'll tell you, it does include me not, it includes me stopping. It gives me another hour, but. Includes me stopping in the next 10 minutes, probably less. You and I don't know what comes next, but the Lord can tell you how to live. And he foretold his own death so that they would believe. The blessing of the fig tree is that it shows us what happens when we disobey God and hide from him. Versus what happens when we abide in him. I don't want you to hide from him. I don't want to hide from him. I want to abide in him. But I do hide from him. Because I feel shame and guilt. Because I feel fear and worry. Because I don't know how. So over and over again, I come back to the Lord. I come back to the word. I stand in the midst of his people. I'm not here as part of this church because it's a job. I'm here as part of the body of Christ because it's my life. You and I together are part of a life together. We may not like life together, but that's not our choice. Our choice is if we abide in him, we are together in each other. However, what we trust in is death has been defeated. The enemy has been cast out. And Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah.
If you fear your own death, you're not trusting in Jesus. I, I'm serious. Everybody fears their own death. I suppose that's true. But I also think that you and I can absolutely say, as the Apostle Paul did, for me to live is Christ and to die is just gain. I, I said that verse to a friend of mine years ago in high school. I was witnessing about Jesus. And I said to her, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And she said, to die is game? Game? Like, like, like a soccer game or a tennis game? For too many in the church, that is the way it is. For me to live is Christ and I play the game. But that is not what will give you eternal life. If you want to know that beyond your grave, there is gain for you in heaven, treasure in heaven. If you want to know that your life is not just limited to here on earth, if you want to know your purpose and fulfill it, bear the fruit of God, be the blessing, see the world changed through God's work in you, then friends, Mangakapati, Jesus is alive today to do that in and through you and I. Now I say this, brethren, in the words of Paul to the church in Corinth, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you're looking for visible victories, you're going to find a limited legacy. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. This perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. And then there will be a fulfillment of the scripture. Death is swallowed up in victory. Read these last words with me. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, to go back to Galatians, don't grow weary in doing good, for you will reap a reward, a harvest in due season if you do not give up. And the proof of it is that Jesus is already the beginning of the harvest. The harvest is already coming in. And your life in Him is more fruit of that. Yes, let's praise the Lord for that. Let's lift up great thanksgiving to God. Friend, if you have never given your life to the Lord, I want to say to you today, be the fruit of heaven. Be part of the harvest of God. I'm going to ask that we would all bow our heads and close our eyes. And provide the courtesy of privacy. The Lord said, if you deny me before people, I will also deny you before my Father in heaven. And the converse, the opposite of that is true. If you, if you acknowledge God before people, he will reward you from heaven. But we provide this privacy because we recognize that what you're being called to is a death is a total sacrifice and it's not easy it may be that you need to give your life to the Lord again it may be that you want somewhere back made a decision to live for Jesus but you know that you haven't been fulfilling that decision what I want to tell you is it was not false what you decided before you say how can I know that I'm just saying by the spirit and by the revelation. It wasn't false. But you have turned away and it's time to come back. And there's no condemnation in Christ. He's saying, come back because I love you. Come back because I miss you. Come back because I want to change you. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's what I'm afraid of. And he says, trust me, and I'll give you invisible victories 
and incredible victories and everlasting life. But maybe you've never been able to say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. Maybe you've thought, I just can't go over to that religious way of thinking. Maybe you've thought that it has to do with church membership or where you give your money. I want to say right now, this is not about any of that, although all of that is going to be involved because it's your whole life that's going to be involved. But I'm not talking about that right now. That's not what the Lord's talking about. What we're talking about is who do you trust to save your soul? When you slip the bonds of this earth and enter in to the tunnel of eternity, who is going to hold your hand? I'm telling you, there is no one but Jesus who can usher you into the kingdom of life. But if you're in his hand, you have life. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask this. If that's you and you need either to give your life to the Lord for the first time or you want to make a recommitment, I ask that you just raise your hand right now and let me see you. Let our eyes meet. I see your hands. And I agree with you, yes. All around the room, yes, yes. I see you. The Lord sees you, yes, yes. The Lord lets you know right now that His hand is taking your hand. His life is entering your life. That His promise to you is security in heaven. He receives you to Himself with absolute love and absolute forgiveness. And He sets Himself to fulfill all that He has begun to do in your life. Yes and amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to ask if you would continue to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to lead us all in a prayer because there are many in the room who you know that your life is secure in Jesus. And today is a day of joy for you because you know that Jesus is alive in you today. But the reality is the weight of your cross is heavy. The clouds in your sky may be dark. Or maybe you're living in a victorious moment right now, but you also know that triumphal entries quickly turn into dark Fridays. And I want to speak the blessing of the Lord over you, an Easter blessing of encouragement to sustain in the midst of a trying season. The Lord says to you, all you who trust in him, even those who have just raised their hand today, my beloved, I died so that you might live. And I rose again so that you would never have to doubt that your life is already begun in me. There is no disease I cannot cure. There is no despair I cannot solve. There is no demon that has authority over me, no demon that can withstand the sound of my name, the power of my tongue, the reality of my word, the sword in my hand. And there is no sin so great that I can for, cannot forgive except one, and that is the sin that never seeks forgiveness. But you, you have repented. You have asked me to forgive you. And I give to you now, supernaturally, all around the room, the Lord is doing this. The Lord Jesus says, I give to you assurance of your salvation. Right now, I'm placing into your heart a supernatural understanding that gives you courage. It goes deeper. It puts down roots into you. It is going to affect the way you think, the way you talk, the way you live. It's going to press into places in your life that are at odds with my revelation so that those things can be rooted out of you so that my word will be rooted in you because you know that you belong to me and no lie of the enemy can make you doubt it. No despair, no despondency, no failure is going to rock your assurance that you belong to me. Also, I will do this for you, says the Lord. I will give you blessing. I will meet your needs. I will pay your bills. I will give you food. You don't need to worry about what you'll eat or where you'll live or what you'll wear. I will provide for you, says the Lord. But you, you no longer think about those things. 
Do what you need to do to be diligent in the world where I've placed you, but do not worry about anything instead in everything through prayer and supplication. Make your request known to me, and I will give you my peace that surpasses all understanding. I will give you my life, and it breaks out of every wall and room and brings overflow of abundance. Now, my people, says the Lord, go with joy and enter into the reward because I tell you the kingdom is at hand. Don't just wait. Open your eyes. Look all around you. The fields are white for harvest. Ask the Lord to send more workers because today is a day for rejoicing. Today is a day of life. Amen and amen.